Hello, my friends. Eric Feltis here, life coach, speaker, actor, and host of The Great Unbecoming. This is a show about stories of unlearning. What did you let go of in order to become the person you are today? And what did you gain and learn as well? This is a show about letting go of stories that no longer serve us and stepping into our own authenticity. It's about unbecoming what society says you should be and remembering who you are and who you are meant to be. So sit back, relax, and welcome to The Great Unbecoming. Hey friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Great Unbecoming. Not only is it another episode, it is the final episode of our two-month series on grief. What a journey it has been. I wanted to end this epi- this series with uh, a, fr- a, f- a friend of mine who uh, is a friend through social media, um, through similar values. We've um, known each other and supported each other on and off in our own endeavors in the last couple of years. One thing that's so awesome about being online and being in the space that I'm in is I get to meet um, people like the wonderful woman who's sitting in front of me. Speaking of, Kate J. Meyer is an ordained minister, licensed professional counselor, and author of both fiction and nonfiction. When she isn't working her full-time job in hospice, you can find Kate reading, writing, the next project, playing, or just trying to find some sleep. Amen. She lives with her husband in Chocolate Lab. Duke, first of all, I just, I almost thought it said her husband and chocolate. Like, that's it. Just chocolate. Nope. <laughs> Cho- chocolate Lab, Duke in West Michigan. Um, Kate, it's so good to see you. Thanks for being here. Absolutely, Eric. Thanks for the invite. I yeah. love having the opportunity to chat with you. Oh, me too. It's been so fun watching your journey and just being in communion with you over the last couple of years. And we've talked about this on Instagram, but I'm so excited to bring you on The Great Unbecoming because you have a book called Faith Doesn't Erase Grief, Embracing the Experience and Finding Hope. Faith Doesn't Erase Grief. What a great way of ending this series on grief. So thanks for uh, joining us and for agreeing to kind of unpack some of these these lessons in here. You can see that I have some yeah, dog-eared absolutely. questions thanks for you. Thanks for, um, <laughs> for doing a series on grief. Um, you know, there's just, there's not, enough focus on it. And so I'm grateful when people like you who have the ability to get the word out there can do that. It's awesome. It's been uh, such a journey and grief, like so many things, Kate is like, the more I dive into it, the more I realize I don't know. And the more feeling of infinite I experience infinity. Um, You know, I, I interviewed one of my best friends who's whose other best friend uh, died by suicide, um, which is a completely unique and different grief than someone who experienced grief for not being accepted as a gay man. All grief is valid and so unique per person. And also, Kate, you know, talk to um, someone who just a couple of months ago really less than six months ago, lost his mother, which is such a different grief than experiencing grief from, from, from losing your mother 30 years ago. Right. So it's like, yeah. it's so multifaceted. We could, I mean, literally could have a podcast on, on grief alone, but, but I had to wrap it yeah. up at some point. <laughs> yes. So yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of this book. Faith doesn't erase grief. And I just, Thank you. it's one of those things where the more I think about the title, the more it means to me. But can I hear what this title, Faith Doesn't Erase Grief, means to you? 
Yeah. Um, it started for me when I realized the truth of that statement for myself, that just because I happen to have a belief system that um, I think the broader world would call Christianity, though I don't love that label right now. Um, and just learning that just because I have that faith doesn't mean that the grief goes away and that grief is something I have to have to go through um, that avoiding it uh, just causes lots of problems. So as a bereavement counselor, then I continued to meet people time after time after time who also were coming up against this really difficult kind of critical moment of people in my life, in my faith life are telling me I should I should be fine because my loved one is in heaven or for non-death grief. Um, I should be fine because this is God's plan, right? Those, those kind of trigger phrases that we have in the capital C church. Mm -hmm. Um, and realizing how unprepared people of faith are to deal with grief because they've been told and um, kind of pushed to just focus on heaven and, mm. uh, you know, that will take care of everything. And it just doesn't. It just doesn't um, well, because we're still here. And not just, well, they're in heaven, um, but also looking at, you know, I, I like to say that all change is grief. You know, to me, grief is letting go of something that no longer serves you and making space for something new which means something yeah. completely different for the loss of a loved one. And, and I, I hear how harsh those words. I mean, obviously that's a whole conversation we could have in and of itself, but it's different than, than, than a breakup or than moving or than changing jobs that can all be different levels of grief as well. And so to say, it, it's sort of like this idea of toxic positivity, like, Oh, don't be sad. Yeah. You got a new job. Don't yeah. be sad, which is basically just saying you're wrong to feel what you feel. And if we right. look at the um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief, like, you know, denial, isolation, anger, bargaining, depression. Um, oh, don't be sad. Don't be depressed. Oh, don't be angry. Right. You, we we, we yeah. often feel like anger is a sin or as if God yeah. can't handle your anger um, or or bargaining. We often hear is, well, then you don't have faith if you're questioning. Right and you're not right. certain, then you don't have faith, which is just bullshit. So yes, it is. I love that you're, you're basically saying that hard stop. That's just not true. Right. It's just not true. It, yeah, it's a natural reaction. Yeah. That's one of my yeah. premise points. It's a natural, it's a natural reaction when there is loss due to death or any kind of change. And even if, even if it's a change that we have, uh, instigated on our own or chosen right. or right. created, you still are going, not going to, but are likely to grieve the loss or the difference of, of what you're leaving behind. Yeah. Yeah. And to allow it. Uh, and yet when we say, don't be sad or, Oh, just pray about it. Or, Oh yeah. Like they're in a better place. So you should be fine sort of thing. Again, you're telling them that they're not right to feel that way. And that's where, that's where it becomes unnatural when we put the judgment on top yes. of our natural feelings. Yes. Yeah. And 
<laughs> and it 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 just removes the the truth of it, right? Mm. It just it's it's when somebody says to you, "Don't be sad, don't be angry." What they're saying is, "I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to do with this feeling that you're sharing with me." So yeah. I need you to stop it. Right. Right. In other words, you're not be a better you're, you're not safe here. Yeah. Right. You're wrong to feel what you feel. You're not safe here. Right. Uh, sometimes, to be very clear, sometimes people don't mean that. This is why I say we're talking sort of about the cult of innocence. You know, it's like in certain situations when people say like, oh, just be happy or don't worry. It's going to be okay. It could be literally as simple as grieving the loss of a, of a, of a, of a, of a breakup and being like, oh, no, they'll call you. Maybe they won't. Like, <laughs> let's not avoid the discomfort because you're just kicking the can down the road. <laughs> right. And maybe I don't want them to. Maybe I'm sad, but also I don't want them to call me. Right, like, right, right. Stop pretending that you know what's happening in my life. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, let's talk a little bit before we get into it about you and your journey. What drew you to write a book about grief? I was one of those people who did not experience significant grief related to death uh, until, you know, like early 20s. Um, I had all four grandparents still in college. Um, you know, it was it was kind of a rare thing within my kind of close community. But then when it started to happen and I my my first grandparent died, um, I think because I was older and because I was uh, kind of plugged in and trying to figure life out, right, as you do in college, um, it hit me in a level that I wasn't prepared for. And then kind of in this rapid succession, it felt like actually several years in between, but it felt like rapid succession. I lost all four. Um, and one of my grandmas in particular, her death really was a gut punch um and i realized that though i was i was a, a trained and licensed therapist though i'm in you know had gone to school and am ordained in ministry and all of these things i i didn't feel well enough prepared to know what to do with that grief of her and how to talk about the fact that i i still want to talk to her and i still want to um, tell stories about her. Um, so that was kind of bubbling under the surface. And then within that, I added to my role as a hospice chaplain. I added in this role of hospice bereavement counselor and continued to meet people who were having these same experiences. And when I went to try to navigate the waters of books on grief of which you know there's whew, there's so many but i could not find a christian centered book on grief that actually created space for somebody to grieve mm. everything i found was about the invalidating that that we've just been talking about that that don't don't think about it Focus well, look on at what happened to Job. To if Job, if Job can do everything without <laughs> complaining, then so can you. <laughs> yes, yes. 
I want to stop. I think it's important to say, because there are a lot of listeners who have been burned by the church who want nothing to do with Christianity. This is not a book for Christians. It can be. It can be. But it's not a book solely as a reader, as a consumer who has read this book. It is not exclusively a book for Christians. I think it could be a book for anyone, but I think particularly people who are who do identify as Christian, but also people who have trauma from Christianity, who have been told some yeah. of these damaging, damaging things because you help us to deconstruct those ideas. So listeners, I don't want you to think like, oh, it's not for me. It might actually be the perfect book for you if you have been burned in that way. So just keep that in mind yeah. as well. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Okay, so before we started um, recording, you mentioned that so there's two chapters in this book called chapter one, you can hate this and chapter two and love God, that dichotomy of you can hate this and love God. And you mentioned that was actually almost the title of the book. So can you help us, you know, give us the elevator pitch breakdown for that, for what the dichotomy looks like of hating this process of grief and also loving God. What does that mean? Yeah. So in my in the tradition I was raised in, um, Reformed Calvinist, there's all this, you know, <laughs> stuff I don't really believe in anymore, um, predestination and, and such, that talks about things that um, you are supposed to experience. Uh, everything that you go through is something you're meant to go through, uh, and therefore you're just meant to accept it as God's plan, and that's that. Um, so there's not room in that to hate something. There's not room in that to say, I don't like this. I don't accept this. I don't see how this fits into anything. And I, I despise this, actually. So there, there was not room for that in the faith tradition I was raised in. There also was not room in that tradition for Part of loving God means challenging God and wrestling with God and uh, walking away from God and saying, I'm, I'm out. This makes no sense to me. And yeah. learning that I can do all of that outside of a faith tradition if I want to, outside of a religion if I want to. Mm-hmm. So um, coming to a place where I found a, truly a freedom in I really can reject this. I can say, I hate that this happened. It might be true that all of us die at one point in time, but I don't have to like that this happened now, that this person died now or in this way. Um, And somehow I can still love God in the midst of that, that the the hatred of the, the, the death or the rejection of it doesn't mean that I no longer have faith or that I no longer love God or that I'm no longer wrestling and and deconstructing and trying to figure it all out. And to me, the definition of faith, again, and I've said this before, you know, faith is not certainty. I always say that faith is sitting in the discomfort of the unknown and choosing to love anyway. And that is exactly what, in my opinion, your first two chapters of your book encapsulate. You can be a, a person of faith and and uh allow yourself to question and reject when you said reject that just reminded me again of that first stage of grief that we hear often which is denial and i think it's important for us to 
allow ourselves to feel the stages of grief. And I know y'all listeners, I apologize for saying this in a different episode, but it's applicable here too. When I went through a breakup recently uh, in the last year, I talked to a friend about like, did I do the right thing? Was it okay? What does it say about me? I had all these questions and he goes, ah, you're, you're in the, that st- sounds like you're in the stage of bargaining right now. And my response to that was, oh, okay, cool. What do I do then? <laughs> he just smiley goes, <laughs> you just note it. You allow it. So if you are in the stage of rejection, allow it, right? I yeah. think that right. feelings of faith does not erase grief. Feelings of faith does erase grief, doesn't allow you to process. It, it, it right. dehumanizes the experience almost. Yeah. 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 So really well said. Um, there are, you talk about three stages that I want to break down. You also give some survival kits. So y'all, if you're listening, you tune in on a good week because we're going to talk about some tangible things that you can do if you're experiencing grief. And the three stages mm-hmm. you talk about are early grief, middle grief, and lasting grief. I would love to break each of these um, stages down and talk about some some tools that we can that we can use to process sure. where we're at in this process. So the first one is early grief. Can you explain that? Yeah. So um, I. I came up with this idea of these um, these three phases because they're they're so fluid, right? The grief process is not linear; um, it's not predictable. Um, but it, there are some, I think, some guideposts that we can look to. So early grief is this this time within grief from immediately after the loss uh, or the change whatever kind of grief we're talking about until the numbness wears off and the person regains kind of that daily function. So that's, I mean, I, I think the range I put in the book is like zero to, I don't know, four months, I think I say, because it really can be that, that uh, varied for people. So early grief is the, the season when you're trying to, to just wrap your head around the fact that this has happened, that this person has died or that um, this change has occurred, whether or not you were prepared for it doesn't matter. Right. So I want to be very clear about that, that even when you're journeying with someone through a long disease process, for instance, just because you know what's coming and you know that you're getting there when the death actually happens, that doesn't, change the fact that there's going to be kind of a a shock element, a surprise element. Yeah. So early grief is all about that. Early grief uh, is about survival, period. Um, We're coming up, uh, we're today's, yeah, we're like three days away from the one year anniversary um, of the death of somebody that I used to babysit. And um, Mm. he died in a tragic hiking accident. And I remember um, talking with his family uh, in those kind of immediate days after and um, saying, just just focus on getting water into your body and trying to find something to eat and mm. lay down when you can. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. If you have medications that you have to take, take those. Mm-hmm. Maybe bathe once in a while. Like the basics. That is early grief. Just do the basics. 
It's interesting. I was talking to one of my success success coaches uh, about time management, and he encouraged me when I'm looking at the businesses expanding. I, I gave him a long list of things and how many hours each week each task takes, roughly, from client calls to podcasting, things like that. And um, he goes, you know, this is good, but I would encourage you and let's let's try to move away a little bit from thinking about how long each of these tasks take to measuring the amount of willpower each of the tasks takes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, say more. And so he described it as like, yeah, like each, you know, a five minute phone call with an ex or with an estranged parent and just different examples, you know, it's five minutes, but that might take a lot of energy out of you. Going to a baseball game for three hours might be really, really enjoyable and actually might fill your cup. So to measure the things in how much effort does it take, I think is important because otherwise that word should creeps in, right? Oh, I should have gotten up by now. I should have showered or I'm pathetic, right? Now you're just putting shame and punishment on top of the grief that you're experiencing. So y'all, if that's helpful, think about, you know, I, I, however, however measurement you want to, whatever measurement you want to use, like how many ounces of willpower are you using per each task as opposed to yeah. how much time or comparing it to what it was like before this person passed away. Huge. Yeah. So that is my toolkit that I would put. What is a tool? What is it? <laughs> what are, what are some tangible exercises or, or tips that you have for the, you know, the early grief survival kit? I, I you know, kind of talked I think about the, some of them a little bit, actually. Yeah, just basic human yeah. needs, survival. Yeah, yeah. Basic needs, yep. And yeah. I, I think it's also the time to start building that net of people that can come around you and and will and know you well enough to say, I'm going to go pick up food from your favorite restaurant. I'll drop it off at 6 o'clock. It will be there. Right. Who Love will that. just who know you well enough just to say, I'm doing this thing. This is when it's happening. Yep. You don't have to do anything. Yep. Um, start building that community and allowing yourself to release those people who are not going to serve you well Ooh. in your grief. Yep. Saying no to other people is sometimes saying yes to yourself. Mm-hmm. Trim the fat. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So this last, uh, of course, there's always exceptions to all rules. Rules are meant to be broken, but typically zero to four months is what I'm hearing. Well, then we enter the stage of middle grief, which I know is can be a lot longer. Describe what middle grief is. Mm-hmm. Middle grief is all about adjustment. It is the time when you slowly begin to see a couple of uh, significant changes. So kind of moving from in early grief, we're always looking back. We're always focused on the past and when this person was physically present with us. Middle grief is kind of this slow progression where we, int- where we can start to think about the present again, and we can start to plug into the present again. So for some people, that's returning to work. For some people, that's... Um, one I hear about a lot from people is I can read again. Um, mm-hmm. My ability to focus and, and stay present in a book has returned. Wow. Um, and then as we move and as we continue to per- 
progress through that towards what I call lasting grief that we'll get to in a little bit, uh, then it's about now I have room also for the future. So middle grief is about getting you to looking from only looking to the past to now I'm able to be present. Um, Mm. It's about a time when you expand your connection with the person who died. So figuring out what mode of communication you want to have. Are you talking out loud to them? Are you writing them letters? Are you just, um, you know, intentionally looking at pictures and telling stories? Are you calling Mm -hmm. people and asking them to share stories with you Mm -hmm. so that you can have that? It's remembering the fullness of the person's life. So often when somebody dies, our, what I call our kind of internal camera roll gets stuck on that end of life. You know, that, that last picture, or that last encounter, um, those, those final months. Uh, so middle grief is about transitioning to remembering the fullness of the person and mm-hmm. knowing that they were so much more than their death and getting our brain, giving your brain time to get to that point. Um, Remembering that your brain and your body are going through a lot in grief. It's not just an emotional, um, spiritual experience. It's also physical and cognitive too. Um, And I'll end to allow it. You talk in your book about um, setting intentional times, the intentionality of that. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Intentional grieving. Um, in the beginning, I, <laughs> clients kind of look at me and, and roll their eyes like, I'm never going to need to intentionally grieve. It's just here. Gonna um, happen. But what I, <laughs> what I mean by that, though, is that as time goes on and you get plugged back into life and you continue living, it can be easy to be tempted to escape into that. Because it feels good to connect again. It feels good to um, be with other people. It feels good to have a reason to not live uh, deep within your grief. We need, though, to continue to give it attention. We need to um, check in with ourselves. I think that's really what it comes down to is progression is great. You know, turning that corner where you're laughing more than you're crying on a given day is such this Mm. breath of fresh air. And it's a beautiful thing and you should hold on to it. Mm. And at the same time, check in with yourself. Where are you? Are you is there any part of your grief where you're stuck? Is there anything you're wrestling with? Anything unresolved? Mm. That's what intentional grief is about. It's about forcing yourself to sit for just a minute. And check in. Can I provide uh, something that helps me with stuck energy? Absolutely. I I am a pretty left brain person, so I love, and we can talk about this as well. But journaling, I, I love, I love putting words to what I'm feeling, and so to get out mm-hmm. of my left brain and into my whole body, I love breath work. I've learned to love mm-hmm. breath work. Yeah. So sometimes if I just feel icky or uncomfortable or there's just feels, I don't know how to describe it other than just stuck energy and I don't have the words for it and I've already journaled and I don't want to journal again. Uh, I'll, I'll do a 20 minute breath work. You can find some online. There's some that I really love. It's actually some yeah. of my part of my leadership program and, and includes 
breath work and actually my retreat by the time this episode comes out, will have already passed, but we had a breathwork specialist with us. Um, but basically, you don't have to think about it or rationalize it. But when you're doing these very intentional breathing exercises for, you know, like 20 minutes, I've had it happen where I am just sobbing by the end. I'm just sobbing yeah. and I have to scream into a pillow yep. because the energy is just trapped in your body. You don't have to rationalize yes. it, but allow yes. it. Allow it. You yeah. talked without saying this word, you did talk about mindfulness, which is actually a part of your book as well. I think mindfulness mm -hmm. is a cousin of intentionality. It's noting where you are and what you're feeling. And so a tool I would give as a life coach for becoming more mindful would be um, to journal my clients every morning for five minutes. They set a timer and they do a fear journal and they write down all the icky thoughts that they have, all the fear, all the worry, all of the what ifs, all of the doubt, all of the yeah. anger the frustration, yeah. God or universe or just yourself or the, the page that you're writing on can handle whatever you put yes. in it. Get it yeah. out because it's there. Yes. Um, and I also want to say, because while some Christians would say, oh, no, that's you're not being a person of faith then. There are also some non-Christians that would say, well, I believe in law of attraction. And if I put negativity on a page, then it's going to happen, which is to me just as damaging as, as the Christian Agreed. way that, you, that, it's, that it's yeah a mark of, of you as a Christian if you, if you doubt. I, I disagree with that. I, for, for me personally, I believe in law of attraction as well. I believe in manifestation, the power of that and the energy like that. But I will say that putting it on paper is not going to make it happen. It's just, it's already in your head. It's ruminating already. It's already right. becoming truthful. So get it right. out of your head and put it on paper to, to keep it from moving through you. Anything yes. you want to add to that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, journaling to me is kind of a non-negotiable. I have, I have plenty of people who kind of very strongly push back on that. And that's fine. I have, you know, many, I have somebody verbal journaling right now, um, which is a Same. kind of an, <laughs> they, kind of they a talk to random text. thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. Um, you know, I was like, well, we got to do something. You got to work on this. So we'll figure it out. Um, things do get trapped in the body. Emotions are big. Grief emotions are huge. And if we don't release them, which is all journaling is, right? It's taking something that's in your head and getting it out. If we don't do that in some way, it gets trapped in the body. And that's just so just kind of circling back to middle grief. Middle grief is a time where we have to find our tools. Do you release things through physical action, um, exercise, running? Are you a person who does that in the more, um, in the ways of creative expression of breath work. Breath work is a huge tool for grief. Um, I do, I, I talk about something. I don't know if I did this in the book or if I've done this since, but <laughs> um, just kind of brushing, right? When you go through this, this big emotional period of expelling things um, to, to just brush your hands down your arms um, over your head, down your legs, just to kind of get those remnants off of you. Cause it's all got to come out. It's all got to go away. Right. When you get a massage, it releases toxins. Oh, You're yeah. doing the same thing. Releasing yeah. emotions is releasing toxins and you just got to brush them off. You got to get the rest off of you. 
I love that. I actually heard something similar about showering. You can, water is very powerful. Yes. Using the elements for healing is very powerful. So yes. imagine the water is washing away that trauma. Um, and some people yes. might hear this and be like, well, that's real woo woo. Uh, and okay, <laughs> but try it. Um, but there's something, there's something powerful. And it's just one piece of it in the visual aspect of it. Carrie Draypack, who is uh, someone that was on my podcast, she lost her mother recently, and she was on my podcast earlier this month as well. She did a presentation, a workshop with my leaders, and it had to do with, oh, I wish I could remember what she calls it, but it had to do with movement and visualization. So we put music on and we all turned our cameras off so we didn't have to, so we didn't have to worry about other people seeing us. But she would say something like, now bring your, bring your awareness into your, into your heart. And how does that feel? And so we all sort of, a lot of us had our eyes closed. We'd, we'd move however that felt, but you bring your awareness into a body part and you just allow yourself to move. And then we bring our yeah. awareness into our hands and it's amazing how your whole body flood, like it's, it's a different movement when you're bringing your awareness yeah. into a different body part. Um, I know yeah. it might sound wild or crazy for people who are listening that have never tried anything like this, but what do you have to lose? You know, one thing right. I do with my, with my clients is like, try it with an open mind and an open heart and then reflect. You don't have to narrate the story if you don't even know what's going to happen yet. Allow it to happen and then see if it did anything. And if not, okay. And if it did, do more of that. So it's, I'm also hearing like part of your toolbox metaphor is like finding what works for you. Yes. And so try is actually one of my keywords um, throughout the book. Because um, we have to try things at different intervals. We never know when it's when it's going to be time to do a certain thing, right? So going back to a restaurant that you and your person went to all the time, try it. Um, if it's not time, it's not time. Um, mm. You know, it's trying a new hobby because you can't stand to repeat everything you did with your person. And so you need to create new things. Mm. Try them. If it's not time, it's not time. Mm. But you're not going to know and you're going to remain stuck instead of moving forward if you don't try. I want to add a caveat to that. Or, or, or Warning is not the right word. I want to add something to that. You know, try something, right? So for me, music holds a lot of meaning for me. And I remember during a breakup once, I, there was a specific song at that time I could not listen to. I had to avoid it like the plague because it reminded me of that person. And so it's important to know, like, if you want to try that thing, going to that restaurant, having that meal, smelling that flower that reminds you of them, whatever it is, you know, I'm just going to try it. If you try it and you have an incredibly uncomfortable reaction to that, it's important to remember you are not regressing. There is no such thing. Correct as regression with grief. All that's Correct. happening is that that trauma is being reactivated in a new way with a new stimuli. So don't be hard on yourself and think it didn't work. It might've done exactly what it needed to do. It's very possible it brought something to the surface that was uncomfortable that needed to move through you. So allow yeah. it. Yeah. And that's the thing. You Grief is not about picking up where you left off because you can't, your brain is different. Your body is different. Your being is different after, after your person has died or you've started the new job or you've moved to the new state or you've started a new relationship. You are a different person. Yeah. So you can't go back 
It's about figuring out who you are now. And so that's another place where try enters in because what used to work for you and feel good for you and be right for you might not be anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I know I keep talking about breakups. <laughs> I feel like Taylor Swift right now. Uh, there are, <laughs> there are, there, there was that moment where I remember with one breakup, I had to avoid a specific song like the plague. There was a different breakup where there was a certain sounds silly, but there was a certain drink that reminded me, um, alcoholic yeah. beverage that reminded me of this person. And I remember at a restaurant, I was sitting down, I was like at the menu and I thought I saw it and my heart dropped and I wanted it, but I was like, Oh, I can't. It reminds me of that person. I'm not ready. And I shifted. It was a simple shift of the mindset for me. It went from, I can't, because it reminds me of that person to maybe this is a nice way of like, A, reclaiming this beverage, but also for my own, but also using this moment in this moment to celebrate the relationship we had, to celebrate that moment. And in a week, if I see the drink again, and I don't want to celebrate that person, that's fine. But it was really right. beautiful how I like I enjoyed it almost more because it was almost like I was giving a, a toast to our relationship that that once was. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah, Play yeah, with it. absolutely. Yeah. So, middle grief. So let's move on to this this next, and I love how it's not ending grief, but what is it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's lasting grief. Lasting grief. Talk to us Which about that. I know that that sounds very, very daunting, <laughs> yeah. but we enter lasting grief when we reach a point of fully having fully accepted that the death has occurred, that the person is not physically coming back mm -hmm. um, or that the job has ended or the relationship has ended or whatever it might be. Right. Um, and so now I am ready to, to fully embrace my continued life. And have figured out how to bring this person with me in the way that I want to do that. So it's pushing against that um, that way of thinking that says you should do this because your dad would want you to, right? But we hear those we hear those phrases a lot. Well, you know that's what would make them happy. Erase that. That's not what you need to go by, right? Go by because you are your own person, you are your own being. And the people who are in our lives influence our lives and they help us, they help bring out more of who we are. And I believe who we are created to be, but they aren't us. Mm -hmm. So it's a lasting grief is about saying, I recognize that I've been forever changed by this loss or this death. and. I am continuing to live. I have more to do. Mm. Whatever that more might be, right? I There are other people in this world that I need to still, not only need to, but want to still engage with. Um, mm. So it's, it's the both and, right? I've used the word and a lot intentionally in this conversation mm. because it's, it's not either or. Mm. Yeah. Um. And, you know, looking sort of at these, at this toolkit, I don't know if you use the word, you, you talk about annual markers. I want you to talk about this. You don't use the mm -hmm. word ritual, but it definitely gives me a feel of 
ritual. Would you say that, and maybe I'm wrong, would you say that that's sort of a synonymous, the word is synonymous with annual markers or is there a difference to you? I don't think there's a difference, no. Um, I think, think unfortunately, um, there are many Christians who don't like that word ritual because it sounds too Eastern, which is, you know, where Jesus was, but (laughs) <laughs> that's a that's a whole other conversation anyway. Um, Jesus wasn't white. <laughs> no, mm-mm, no, mm. and, and, yeah, we could go down that rabbit trail, that's but another, we won't. That's but, another book. Um, that's a whole other whole other thing. Maybe that'll be the title um, of my book: Jesus wasn't white, <laughs> with a picture of me. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> Don't forget the handle. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't even know what we were talking about. Ritual. Talk about the importance of ritual and how that can help you and honor someone else. Yeah. So um, I, I also use the word annual marker or um, the one year mark Um, Mm. just because anniversary just feels wrong. You know, I mean, anniversaries celebrate things and I don't know. It just feels wrong. So and if it feels I'm right thinking, to you, then I've use it, thinking, and that's okay too. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, what I'm, <laughs> yes. That's I knew one. what you meant. <laughs> um, so I've been thinking about um, Justin, this young man that died uh, mm. a year ago. By the time this will be released, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, those one year marks are about a couple of different things. I think that the, the most important thing to me for listeners to to grasp is that the one year mark does not need to be it's not a re-experiencing it's not Mm. a reliving you don't have to do it again you don't have to go through learning of the death uh, or witnessing the death or whatever it might be you don't have to do it again Uh, instead it's a time where you can very intentionally do something that honors the fullness of the person. Uh, hmm. So, you know, lighting a candle, releasing, uh, releasing a balloon. Some people wait that year to spread ashes somewhere. Hmm. Um, but it's also, so it's remembering the fullness of the person. It's also saying, looking back and saying what you have done in that year, because at the beginning of early grief, when it all first starts, it's hard to fathom in for some people, even surviving to one year, Mm -hmm. let alone being re-engaged in life by that point in time. That Mm. is like unfathomable. oftentimes. So it's not about going through it again. It's about saying, okay, I'm going to remember the whole person on this yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that, that mindfulness is in the, the middle grief toolbox, but my goodness, is it so important throughout? Um, I, another thing I work on with my clients, especially when they lack confidence is a brag journal at the end of each day, they're called to write down a list of the things that they did that day. Moments that they chose love over fear. I got up today. I took a shower today. Um, yep. It was really hard and I didn't want yeah. to, especially in these moments of grief. So in the year mark to, to, to go back and reflect and look at like, what did I accomplish 
in this year. Uh, when the future is so unknown and can, that can feel scary, it can be really healing to, instead of looking at the future, pause and look at how far you've come. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, it's a great book, y'all. If this conversation was interesting to you, which I'm sure it was, please go out and get this book. And where can people find your guide to navigating grief entitled Faith Doesn't Erase Grief? Where can we find this? You can find it um, really anywhere books are sold. Um, it is in paperback. Audio, there is an audio version on um, Audible for sure. I don't know about other places, but I know it's on Audible. Um, and there is an ebook as well. So get it in whatever format makes the most sense to you. Mm -hmm. um, the toolkit includes, you know, I, uh, you and I, Eric, both have talked about journaling, and there are a couple different journaling tools that I talk about in there and lay out mm -hmm. specifically. Um, so, yeah, check it out. And if they want to reach you, how can they do so? And I'll put all of this in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, you can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, newly on TikTok. New mm. stuff there. Um, yeah. It's time to branch out. Mm -hmm. uh, or going to my website, katejmeyer.com. Mm -hmm. uh, you can learn all the things there. You can learn about the fiction books. You can learn about how to find me. Uh, if you need a workshop in your space on grief, all of that information emailing me. It's all there. It's all at that one-stop shop. Great. Again, I'll put all of that in the show notes. Kate, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Thank I'm very you. grateful for you and your work. Yeah. You it's too. been fun. And y'all, of course, always. very at the very end, Kate froze. So if you're listening to this right now, you might be hearing me over Kate. I don't know if you were talking, Kate, but you froze for a second. Exactly what I told you was going to happen. It waited till the very end. <laughs> Weird. The internet's been so weird. I always say that the internet is homophobic when, it's, um, when it chops me off because it is. Um, Y'all, so I will drop all of Kate's uh, uh, locations where you can find her in the show notes along with the title of her book. And for me, you can uh, you can email me, eric at lifecoachingbyfeltus.com. You can message me on Instagram at ericfeltus. And this concludes our two-month series on grief, but we will see you back next week new topic, new episode, new day. Love you all. See you next time. Bye. All right, my friends, that's all we have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Great Unbecoming. And if you did, please share this on your social media and tag me, Eric Feltus. That's Eric Feltus on Instagram and Facebook and Eric.Feltus on TikTok. And to make sure you don't miss another episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts and go ahead and give us a five-star review. Your ratings and reviews are really the fuel that keep us going, and we're so grateful for your support. And of course, check out this episode and all episodes on our YouTube channel at Life Coaching by Feltus. And finally, don't forget to go to www.lifecoachingbyfeltus.com and sign up for our email list and stay up to date on everything that's coming up and going on in our shame-free community. I will see you next time. And until then, know that in this space, you are always seen, supported, and celebrated. Bye for now.